From beach towels to tea towels and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT Shop has it all. Browse our shop now at tntradio.live. Political commentator and investigative journalist, you're with Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome, welcome to the program. We'll be broadcasting live for the next two hours. Uh, things have happened in the last 24 hours, I think, that are going to permanently shift the playing field, not just in the Middle East, but globally. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if we are ever on the precipice of a third world war, it is right now as we speak. Events over the evening have escalated matters significantly. We're going to break down as much as we can. We had a whole program uh, ready for today. Uh, where you've had to adjust it at the last minute because of breaking developments. I'll try to go through some of those uh, with you. We'll be joined in the first hour by Freddie Ponton. Hopefully he'll be uh, pretty well adaptive on these matters. Uh, he has a, a whole range of things to discuss, but surely this is going to be updated by the recent events. We're talking about a terrorist attack in Iran. Uh, at the anniversary of the fu uh, funeral of Qasem Soleimani, uh, the Iranian Quds Forces leader who was assassinated by the United States and Israel uh, only a few years ago to this very day. That was in 2020. So I believe that's been four years now. Uh, so there's a terrorist attack. Israel's not taking credit for it, but uh, it does seem like either Israel or one of its proxies are likely responsible. This comes on the uh, heels of an assassination of a Hamas political leader uh, in Beirut. Uh, and again, Israel's denying uh, responsibility, but all signals, all clues seem to be pointing at Israel or one of its proxies. So, so severe escalation activity going on. Uh, they're hoping, Israel, United States seem to be hoping for some kind of a response so that this can initiate a wider war. That seems to be what's happening. We'll break out We'll break down some of the facts, some of the details on this. I'll explain how things have unfolded uh, shortly. Uh, in the second hour, uh, we're going to be joined by investigative journalist from Lebanon. On the ground in Lebanon, Leila Haytoum is going to join us on the program. She's been on many times before. Her work, her insights are absolutely invaluable. Uh, Hassan Nasrallah, the Hezbollah leader, is having a speech right now as we speak. So this, the timing of this is going to be very good for you, our audience, because we'll have uh, hopefully Leila coming on immediately after Nasrallah's speech, and she'll be giving a breakdown uh, and analysis of what was said. Uh, she'll be watching it closely, translating it, and then relaying to us the contents of the speech and what it means and what to expect going forward uh, in this uh, very tense situation. So how we need to frame this is, let's go back to where we were yesterday. Israel announced it's withdrawing troops from the Gaza Strip. And they're in the process of a drawdown. They say they're going to be withdrawing thousands of troops from Gaza. Uh, one can read this two, two ways, two or three ways. The first two ways, obviously, Israel's taken heavy casualties, heavy troop losses. They've lost over 100 tanks, hundreds of armored vehicles, uh, ammunition. Uh, the morale is at an all-time low. Uh, and international condemnation of Israel for the genocide in Gaza, which is now going to the world court uh, in the International Courts of Justice. Case has been filed finally by South Africa. Uh, and then other countries will now join in on that legal case, 
which will trigger a UN special general assembly meeting and investigation, which will probably end in an international tribunal uh, where there'll be subpoenas or summons or indictments, what have you. We'll see of Israeli officials, military officials, et cetera. The process could take years. So for Israel, things have never been worse. Okay, in terms of its international image. So it's withdrawing the troops. The United States has asked them to do this, we're told, uh, before the new year. They may be a little bit late on the announcement. Uh, United States doesn't want to make this a big liability for the 2024 election already. The Democrats and Joe Biden are hemorrhaging support and key demographics of the Democrat coalition. The progressive alliance is very much split with the White House on this issue of the United States' backing of the genocide, which Israel has been carrying out for the last three months. Very unpopular policy genocide, as you can imagine. Most normal people are opposed to it, but of course, we don't all have normal people in Washington, D.C., do we? Uh, especially in Congress and Senate. Not normal people. A very special breed of people uh, that don't find these things very abhorrent and tend to rationalize uh, mass slaughter and massacres in a way that only politicians can, especially American politicians, special breed there. Israel, this is just par for the course. They've been engaged in a slow kill uh, in Palestine of Palestinians, the native population there ever since the creation of the state of Israel, even before the creation, in fact, in 1948. But that said, why was Israel really withdrawing troops? Well, one of the main reasons is they do not have the resources to fight a two-front war. That's right, a second front opening up in South Lebanon is now becoming the focus of Israel. They must double down. They feel like they've contained the the situation in Gaza sufficiently enough that they can just do intermediate bombing runs against remaining civilians, terrorize the population there for an extended period of time in what they're calling now a low-intensity uh, conflict in Gaza. So they want to reposition their resources to the north to fight Hezbollah in South Lebanon. That's escalating. So they've, they've if you look at the assassination of the Hamas leader, and by the way, other people died in this terrorist attack in Beirut, in southern, south of Beirut, the city, the capital of Lebanon. So this is well into Lebanese territory. And what this is, is clearly a provocation. It's a provocation expecting a reaction. And they're not getting a reaction, immediate reaction anyway from Hezbollah. They've announced that they will respond and they'll do so at a time of their choosing and it will be proportional to the assassination which has happened. So clearly this is a red line that Israel's crossed they're hoping for a reaction. They didn't get one immediately. And now we see overnight a terrorist attack in Iran at the grave of Qasem Soleimani on the anniversary of the death of Qasem Soleimani, assassinated, everyone knows this, by the way, by the United States and Israel. This is, oh, they're open about it. So there's an interesting in, inside story on that we can, we, we've talked about before. So, again, expecting a provocation from Iran. So now they've provoked Hezbollah. They've provoked Iran. Who else are they going to provoke? They want to get a reaction. Will we see a terrorist attack in Syria? Will we see another terrorist attack in Iraq? What's next? Are we going to see some kind of a terrorist attack in Egypt? Who knows? But one thing's for certain, that... Israel cannot take on the axis of resistance, i.e. Iran, Hezbollah, the Hashd al-Shabi in Iraq, Ansar Allah, the Yemenis, 
Hamas, all the other Palestinian resistance factions, the Syrian Arab army, their allies. They can't, Israel can't take all of these on themselves. What Israel needs to do right now is to draw the United States into a wider regional or world war, perhaps, in order that they will fight and destroy Israel's enemies, you see. So this is straight out of the art of war, okay, what Israel's doing. Uh, and waging war by deception is the motto of a certain intelligence services based in the Middle East. It starts with an I and ends with an L. Go look at their motto. It's on their patch. So looking at this the way this is unfolding, it does look like uh, an escalation is in the works, and there's certain parties involved that are hell-bent on escalation. Why? Because they need it. They need it to survive. So now you're going to see that, plus internally in Israel, you're going to see now Now that the, uh, the massacres the genocide is, you know, more or less complete, at least mostly in Gaza. Uh, and you're going to see now the push to ethnically cleanse the Palestinian population, the native Palestinian population. The settlers, uh, the colonial settler project will try to push them out of the country, first into Egypt, and then they're going around doing uh, basically shuttle diplomacy to see who can take Palestinian refugees. It's what the U.S. and Israel are working on behind the scenes. Not, it's probably not going to work, but this is the plan. So what does that mean? That means that they could get rid of Benjamin Netanyahu right now, Israel. They can kind of put him out of office, get make him guilty or whatever. So you'll see some moves, at least pressure. I don't think Netanyahu is going to go without a fight. Anyway, he cannot, as soon as the fighting draws down in Gaza, he then needs to find a new area of escalation in order to survive. Because in most countries, most of the time, it's it's impossible, nearly impossible to change the leadership in midstream during a war or a conflict. The same goes with Israel. So the quicker they can engage in a hard military battle, uh, the longer Netanyahu can extend the life of his regime. It's as simple as that. So, and nobody's going to try to get involved and mess around, especially when you have uh, major international players involved. Okay, that's just the way it goes. The problem here, of course, is the obvious solution to everybody who's looking at this, who's sober, who's intelligent, who's mature, who's an adult, will look at this and say, well, why don't we just sort of de-escalate and maybe come to some peace negotiations? You see, that's what the adults in the room would do if there were any. That's what anybody who's sober, who's sane, who's honest would do. But unfortunately, we have packs of hyenas running around in Western countries believing they can win World War III. This is the delusional aspect. And a lot of them think they can get behind Israel as a rogue state and somehow get some, I don't know, moral clarity, some special protection. I don't know. Is this a religious thing? I don't know. There's a lot of crazy talk right now in the West. A lot of crazy, not quite right thinking uh, going on in the West. This is a good opportunity to de-escalate, to draw down, to come to the peace negotiation table. That's what we've been advocating at this show from day one. From day one. But that's not what everybody else has been advocating. And that in lies the problem in that People have lost their minds 
And it's pretty obvious looking at the media punditry right across mainstream media, especially over the last 48 hours, more people want to see war than want to see peace in the United States, in Britain, in the five eyes countries, people have lost their minds. So what can we do? What can we do? We just have to keep trying to put facts out, try to explain things, try to show the context, the historical context, get people to see the reality of the situation, that World War III is actually a losing endeavor. But there's some people that uh, that's, that's, that's the only way they're going to survive this crisis is to somehow benefit off the killing, off the violence, off the instability. Unfortunately, this has always been the case throughout history. So that's what we're up against, ladies and gentlemen. It's the people versus the elite once again. Let's take a break here with TNT, today's news talk, and connect our guest, Mr. Freddie Ponton, coming up on the other side. I'm looking forward to this conversation. I hope you will be as well. We'll see you in a few. TNT Radio's Chris Smith. Despite being used to protect travelers from terrorists, hijackers, or violent drunks, or those who were drugged out as they board, and this has been going on since 1961, they won't be around this Thanksgiving. None of them. Air marshals were always meant to be invisible. Well, you can guarantee that this Thanksgiving. Ironically, the Biden administration has been hijacking air marshals for all kinds of other duties, leaving the passengers they were meant to guard and protect completely helpless. Air marshals have been lumbered with assisting the chaos on the southern border. They might be called air marshals, but an unknown number are now seconded to work on the ground. Maybe they're ground marshals now, marshalling illegal immigrants on the border and doing the job supposedly meant for the United States Customs and Border Protection. Where are they? Chris Smith on TNT Radio. The light is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. thelightpaper.co.uk Today's News Talk Radio. Now we're talking... TNT. Gentlemen, welcome back. Welcome back to the program. I'm your host, Patrick Kenningson. We're here in the first hour of this live broadcast. Thank you for rejoining us. Much appreciated. And hello to everybody in the TNT chat room. Sorry, we've been very busy on the back lines uh, working the news feeds. We haven't had a time to interact with our community there, but uh, suffice to say, we're glad you're there. We appreciate your energy and activity in that chat room. we got some great banter. That's where you want to be on this live broadcast. Go to tntradio.live. Look at the little red bubble down in the lower right hand corner of your screen you'll see that's the chat community easy to log in it'll keep you logged in so you can come back multiple visits you don't have to re-log in just literally go to the website in your browser or uh, arrive through the app the tnt radio app which you can download free on the on the app store with apple or for android as well google play uh so anyway be in that community that's where you want to be during the broadcast that's where the action is and uh, I want to welcome onto the program right now, independent journalist and researcher, our European correspondent of sorts, Freddie Ponton, on the line right now. Freddie from France. Freddie, how are you? Happy New Year. Hey, thank you very much, Patrick. Happy New Year to you, too. Uh, yeah, I'm good. Thank you. It's great to be on the show. Um, we've uh, got some rest during this uh, break. 
uh, at the end of December, celebrated accordingly. And uh, yeah, it's good to be back on the show. There's so much to cover, Patrick. Uh, so it's important we're here and, uh, and uh, people need to hear what we have to say. So thanks for having me on the show. No, it's our pleasure, Freddie. And, uh, you know, we're watching your uh, Twitter feed on X. Uh, I don't know what to call it anymore still. I'm calling it Twitter and X or X Twitter. Sorry, Freddie. I mean, I'm doing this to everybody. But uh, on your X Twitter free, uh, feed, uh, you've got a bunch of stories that you're kind of keeping your eyes on right now. Uh, so let's just go like on the priorities uh, what's most important right now? Let's get into the discussion. Uh, I think we should start with the Middle East, if that's okay. But um, where where are you right now on this story? And let's let's uh, let's try to break it down. Well, there there, there are two two major events. Uh, one is that is still unfolding as we speak with this uh, uh, attack that uh, literally uh, took place. Uh, 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 earlier today, uh, but I, I'll start with the first one, if that's okay with you, with this Israeli strike targeting the Hamas office in the southern suburb of Beirut, which killed uh, a senior uh, Hamas uh, deputy uh, leader uh, of the political bureau of Hamas in, in, in Beirut. So obviously this is a, a direct uh, attack uh, Israel uh, said that they have nothing to do with it, uh, didn't claim any responsibility for the attack, although they've warned in the past. We all remember uh, several statements, uh, amongst which uh, a statement made by Netanyahu with regards to uh, uh, instruction that he have provided Mossad with as far as eliminating uh, Hamas leaders, not only in Gaza, but also around the world. So it's very clear to us that uh, it's not a secret that Israel uh, had a, a policy, but also a strategy to take Hamas leaders outside of uh, uh, the Gaza Strip. So uh, I think it's quite clear to everyone, certainly for the Lebanese, certainly for the Hezbollah, uh, that uh, Saleh al-Aouhouri, uh, this deputy uh, uh, leader of Hamas in the southern part of Beirut, and so five others of Hamas members, including two commanders, were taken out in a missile strike in the southern part of Beirut. So very, very uh, tense situation at the moment. I think what's really important is to uh, really understand the position first of the Lebanese government. Uh, that was, I think, a, a, a first position. We saw the uh, uh, Prime Minister Najib Mikati condemning the attack in uh, uh, in southern Beirut and describing it as a new I Israeli crime. So that is the first position. We're getting the state position. And then secondly, we are expecting at, at any time now uh, a speech from uh, Nasrallah, the leader of Hezbollah, uh, he had actually a scheduled uh, uh, television broadcast today, with uh, which Saleh Aruri was actually meant to attend. Unfortunately, he's not with us any longer. Uh, so a lot of anticipation as far as to what Nasrallah is going to say. Uh, we know that even uh, on August year last year, he warned Israel very clearly during this much anticipated speech that he would uh, actually uh, take great offense and there would be great consequences should Israel attack any foreigners host of Lebanese or host of Lebanon in, in Lebanon in Beirut, uh, whether they were Syrian, whether they were Lebanese, whether they were from Hamas or Palestinians, uh, it was a very clear-cut warning that this will have great consequences. So uh, we're going to have to wait for uh, Nasrallah's speech and really hear uh, what the, the man has to say. 
and, and that's going to be very interesting and very telling as far as what is to come next within the, the next few days. No, that is. And uh, that speech is happening right now. Uh, so Freddie's uh, brought our attention to that. So what we'll do is we'll 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 have Leila Haitoum, investigative journalist from Lebanon, in the second hour, who has will probably have already translated that speech, and she'll be relaying the contents of that, which is happening right now, uh, Nasrallah's speech. So we'll go to that in the second hour. But yeah, Freddie, um, that's going to be very telling. And they have the important thing I think the takeaway here, Freddie, is they have said they will respond. But they're they're going to do so probably not in a reaction or emotional way. Uh, they're going to wait and choose their targets uh, accordingly, and it will be at a time of their choosing that's most convenient to Hezbollah and not to Israel. And I think that's where the problems begin for Israel because it's almost like Freddie they're expecting like a knee jerk reaction. But this isn't 2000 anymore. This isn't 1990 anymore. Uh, this is 2024. And uh, would you agree, Freddie, that the resistance axis has matured a lot in recent years in terms of tactics, strategy, uh, coordination, and also proportionality, staying within the bounds of international law? This is something that people don't talk about is these actors like Hezbollah that nested within Lebanon are acting very much like state actors in terms of their the normality and proportionality and how they go about their uh, exchanges, okay? So they're regarded as terrorist groups by the U.S. and Britain and others, but yet they're acting like a very predictable state actor and talking like a predictable state actor. But then Israel's not acting or talking like a predictable state actor. And quite frankly, neither is the United States. So this is an interesting development, I think, overall in international relations. Your comments, Freddie? Yes, absolutely. I think we, we can all agree that, uh, that there is a, a coordinated effort in everything the acts of resistance is doing, whether it comes out of Yemen, whether it comes out of uh, uh, the Hezbollah in Lebanon or Iraq or Syria, everything is coordinated. And I think this is definitely part of the, uh, the commitment to what they're trying to achieve in the region. Uh, I think that uh, uh, Iran has uh, really been extremely cautious about not being dragged into this conflict. And uh, many already has kind of uh, looked into this late attack on, on the Hamas leader in Beirut as a, and as a attempt from Israel to not only drag Iran into a broader regional conflict, but to draw the acts of resistance into uh, some kind of chaos response, which will eventually drag the United States uh, 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 in, 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 in a broader conflict as well. So it, it is about creating chaos. It is about basically dragging uh, uh, the ultimate enemy, the ultimate opponent of Israel, the United States, which is Iran. Uh, but are, you're dealing with very sophisticated uh, tacticians, people that are not reacting emotionally, but people that have uh, a certain uh, their uh, their armed forces, their resistance group, and uh, I think there's a lot of intelligence, but also a lot of respect for, as you said, for international law. And there are boundaries; these are not just cowboys, uh, and that will be really uh, kind of a. Uh, stupid to undermine the quality of the people you're dealing with. You might not agree uh, with what they're doing or what they stand for, but you must recognize that you are dealing with people that are organized, extremely well financed, extremely well armed, and extremely motivated, but they are also extremely well coordinated. So 
it's going to be very interesting, as I say, to see where Nasrallah is going to take this debate. Uh, I'm going to look, look forward, obviously, to the translation of this uh, speech so that we can uh, start to get an idea. But uh, as I say, Nasrallah is a tactician, and I doubt very much that he's going to lay down his card and show exactly his card and what he wants to do and how he's going to do it. So we're not going to see and find out today what this um, uh answer to this attack, an attack, uh, again, as I say, on the uh, uh, Lebanon uh, sovereignty and uh, a direct threat to the national security. So it's very important to to read between the light, but we're not going to find out what he's going to do. This will come as a surprise. I'm quite sure of it. Yeah. And, and uh, what also is interesting and what Israelis understand, by the way, and every Israeli is going to be watching and listening to this speech, um, they tune into Nasrallah with higher numbers than they tune into Netanyahu uh, when he gives a speech, just to give people an indication of how important Hassan Nasrallah is. But he's always been Freddie, somebody who uh, doesn't, he means what he says and does what he uh, says he's going to do. And that's always been the brand and the trademark of Hassan Nasrallah, uh, the Secretary General of Hezbollah. So whatever he's saying, uh, I think you can pretty much you know, bank on it. The only thing that's problematic for Israel is they don't know when they're going to respond and how. But it is understood, Freddie, that Hezbollah has a list of targets. They, they always keep a list of targets, all countries do, that when it comes to a serious conflict or exchange, when it's time to escalate, if escalation is brought to them, they know how to escalate in kind. So they've already said, Freddie, that if Israel hits Beirut airport, they will probably hit Ben-Gurion airport. That's never happened before. That would very seriously disrupt Israeli society because think of how many people are trying to flee Israel when the fighting uh, starts kicking off, especially with Hezbollah. And then you have military bases, you have airfields in the Israeli territories. Listen, what's Israel willing to sacrifice? That's the question. Um, have they thought this through or are we looking at a kind of Armageddon scenario here if this spins out of control, the Samson option? You know about all these things these doctrines. So just to, what, what do you think? Well, it's, you know, in there's an international configuration with regards to how conflict escalates. It doesn't escalate suddenly. It's proportional. So uh, there's going to be a proportional response, not something, uh, you know, completely uh, uh, out of that framework. But uh, clearly this is going to be proportionate. So they're going to be looking at targeting uh, definitely something uh, uh, of high value for the Israeli government, perhaps a leader of the uh, Israeli government, perhaps someone from the war cabinet, perhaps even directly Netanyahu. I mean, you know, it's at this stage, it's open bar on any leaders from Israel because this is a proportionate re uh, response. And as you said, uh, very, very true. It's proportionate, which means that there's always options uh, available, whether it is to Nasrallah, to the Yemeni, to Iran, there's always options as far as uh, taking out a target. It's for them to choose the one that is the most appropriate, the one that will uh, obviously provide a very clear message to the Israeli that this and what they've done should not happen again. So we're going to see now this conflict escalating. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. It will escalate in its response. Uh, and uh, we, we just unfortunately have to stand by and wait to to see exactly uh, what to to see and understand what it's going to look like. But uh, 
uh, the, the tension is escalating. It's escalating, as you saw in the in the Red Sea as well, in the Arabian Seas. We saw the Iranian uh, uh, moving and uh, starting to deploy. Uh, I think a, a flotilla of eight vessels. So it's quite. It's not a small maritime real estate. You know, this is a, a quite a, 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 what I call an IRS operation and you know an intelligence reconnaissance and surveillance uh, operation in the Arabian Sea. And in the Red Sea. So uh, when you do these kind of things, it means that you expect more tension. You do expect uh, uh, trying to get more intelligence as far as to what the United States and the coalition is trying to do. A uh, lot of things is going on at the same time. And it is currently a multi-front conflict. Uh, it might not look like it, but it's definitely a multi-front conflict, Patrick. Yeah, what do you think about this, uh, Freddie? I want to get your opinion on this uh, before we go to break. But um, there's some mixed signals that have been coming out of Washington vis-a-vis uh, -vis Israel. Uh, UN Ambassador uh, Thomas Greenfield, she said uh, she's totally against Ben Gavir and their sort of ethnic cleansing comments. They totally, you know, reject that. They're going to stand against that, etc. This is a woman that's vetoed every ceasefire over the last three months. That aside, but what about this? This, th these these escalations coming at a time when the United States has withdrawn the USS Gerald Ford, its largest aircraft carrier from off the coast of Israel. Major support, major deterrent, right, in a battle with Hezbollah. Could, could Israel's escalation be to 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 bring the U.S. back in? Because I, I, do, I don't think that they can survive uh, doing the, all of this without U.S. support. 100% support. So is, th is there a push and pull going on potentially here? Because I know not everybody in America, at least publicly, they may support Israel, but privately there's a lot of skepticism that this is uh, potentially a rogue regime that's kind of gone out of control and could drag us into World War III. What do you think about that aspect? Well, what I believe is the last United Nations Security Council resolution 2720 was very clear. This is the last shot. Uh, the last time that the United States was to uh, basically uh, uh, put his neck for, for Israel, buying time for Israel uh, to uh, get rid of Hamas in the Gaza Strip. But that's, I think, as far as the uh, uh, the Biden administration can afford, and the simple reason for that is uh, the elections coming up at the end of the year. Uh, this is not sustainable anymore for the Biden administration. And I think that the last push was uh, uh, afforded by Anthony Blinken, uh, the uh, uh, the state secretary, which obviously has great affiliation with Israel, being Jewish himself, and have a long history of uh, you know of uh, of supporting Israel uh, over his different position within the administration. Uh, but uh, I think it's coming to an end, and I think Israel sense that you're you're correct in saying that that at some stage uh, they're gonna come to a breaking point, and that breaking point is going to be that our uh, United States will have to put its foot down and, 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 and allow a ceasefire to take place. Uh, so really the time is ticking, but our, uh, Israel has prepared this move. You see, I don't know if you noticed that, but a few days ago, uh, last week, we, we saw Israel pulling uh, five brigades out of Gaza. Uh, this is not one brigade, two, but five brigades out of Gaza, Pretending that these guys needed some, 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 you know, some fresh air. They needed some, some, some uh, R and R. 
but at the end of the day, I more I look at it and more I believe that this withdrawal of brigade was simply to accommodate this particular strike that took place yesterday against the Hamas leaders in Beirut because they knew the response for the Hamas uh, from the Hamas in the Gaza Strip will be tremendous and probably dreadful. So they thought that there was no need for them to be there uh, to 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 just be available for that response, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's going to take them a while to 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 draw down those numbers. They're talking about a few thousand, but that was a big distraction because that really put it created a little bit of a a lull and as you said, immediately after that, boom, the strike in Beirut. So, it was like a one-two series of events and so it seems like is a lot of strategy and tactics going on here. Both sides are trying to work out what the other side is doing. Israel's very cautious on one hand. They're very reckless on one hand, but they're also very cautious that they get the timing right of their provocations because they have an end game, don't they? They have a strategy. They have things they want to achieve. And uh, by war, you know, by deception, thou shalt wait, wage war. You know, so this is this is their brand. Uh, there's a common ahead, goal. There's, a, there's a, go a common goal, Patrick, with Israel and, and the United States, and that is Iran. That is the only common yeah. goal. All the rest is negotiations and weight that Israel is uh, throwing around just to afford more time and more uh, uh, military power to, to get rid of Hamas. But uh, the real common goal from a diplomatic, from a, a policy point of view, from a strategic point of view and a geopolitical point of view is Iran. Iran is the major upset, and uh, uh, we, we saw them how they've upset uh, the American uh, by uh, supporting uh, the uh, Iraqi uh, uh, government with al-Maliki uh, in Baghdad, the way they supported Bashar al-Assad in, uh, in Syria, and otherwise how they supported the Yemenis uh, against the Saudi-U.S. coalition. So again, we see that upset is a major hurdle for what Israel and what the United States is trying to accomplish in the region. So they, they're coming together on that particular crucial point, but they do diverge tremendously on the way uh, the conflict and the military operation of the IDF is conducted uh, in, uh, in, in Gaza. But also, as I said earlier, it's really about the day after tomorrow. It is about what is Gaza is going to look like after this conflict? Who's going to be actually getting the power, the control over Gaza? And what are the efforts made to actually rid the Gaza Strip of its Palestinians? So we can talk about this in the second part, Patrick. Yeah, let's do that. We're going to take a break with uh, TNT today's news talk. I'm here with independent journalist and researcher Freddie Ponton. On the other side, uh, we're going to delve into, uh, well, we'll talk about the a terror attack uh, in Iran, why that's significant. We'll get uh, some commentary on this, some analysis. And also, uh, the Epstein client list story has dropped once again, but has it? Or has it been kicked down the road uh, a few more months? Who knows? We'll get some insights uh, from Freddie Ponton on this, some interesting connections as well with Israel and Epstein, of course. We must delve into that area too. All this and more on the other side. I'm Patrick Henningsen. We'll be right back. I was such a young age. Everything changed. My name is Chloe. When I was 13, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. When I found out I just didn't know how to react. I felt like everything was just kind of closing in on me. It just became a routine. Dad's doing chemo. I'd come home from school, wait for mum to finish work, and we'd go straight to the hospital, spend a few hours there, just draw, 
It was hard to navigate going to school. Hundreds of kids and I was the only one with a dying dad. He was diagnosed in March and then he died in October. Towards the end, I heard about canteen. It kind of felt nice to know that they had other people like me. They understood what I was going through and we didn't even have to chat about cancer. In 2020, I became a youth ambassador so I can help others the way they helped me. I've done so many things since I was 13. I've graduated high school, university, gotten my licence, made a move across the country. Life now is just a whole lot more fun. Please give a gift today to support more young people like me experiencing cancer. I tell my son, I love you every single day. Now my dad has never said that to me. Not because he doesn't love me, but because culturally it wasn't comfortable for him. Now that he's a grandfather, he says I love you to my son every time he sees him. My advice to all the fathers out there, forget the cultural restrictions. They grow up way too fast for you to waste even a single precious moment. This is the Patrick Henningsen Show on TNT Radio. Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to TNT Today's News Talk. We're broadcasting live for these two hours. We're still in the first hour. We're with independent journalist investigator Freddie Ponton joining us on the live link from France. Freddie, uh, we, we talked about the assassination of the Hamas leader in Beirut, along with the other people killed in that very uh, major red line cross there because it, it was happening in Beirut as well. Uh, Israel doesn't want to take credit for it publicly. Mark Regev was stuttering and stumbling on the news broadcasts when he was going on being asked about this. Pretty bad denial, bad acting by the Israeli minister there. Uh, nobody believes him, uh, let's be honest. So and a couple of hours ago, before we go on to air, Freddie, this happens, a uh, terrorist attack in Iran. And this is uh, two explosions which killed more than 100 people and wounded scores more at a ceremony commemorating the death of uh, General Qasem Soleimani, who was killed by the U.S. with Israeli intelligence in January 2020, four years ago. And uh, so a, a very emotive, very emotive uh, incident for Iranians. Qasem Soleimani, a national hero, would have been the supreme leader. He would have been next in line as the supreme leader. Um, so that's what was taken from Iran in terms of their national hero by the U.S., by Israel. Now you have this terrorist attack at his funeral on the anniversary, killing over 100 people. Does this seem like a provocation to you, Freddie? Well, it's, it's clearly, you know, in uh, the timing is very telling as far as I'm concerned. I think we, we can clearly see uh, the uh, acts of terror <laughs> the real acts of terror, meaning Israel and the United States are, are pushing really hard to uh, uh, to drag out Iran. You know, I mean, it's, it couldn't be more obvious unless you are prepared to believe uh, uh, Mario Bros uh, as well, uh, geopolitical and analysis. I think it's better to, you know, stick to uh, the simple basics, you know, this kind of Akram Razor way of looking at things and understanding that, uh, the time is ticking for Israel. They won't be able to carry uh, uh, 
and, and going on for, for much longer in the Gaza Strip because of uh, South Africa's invoking the, the Genocide Convention. And uh, at any time, this is something that's going to be uh, uh, above their head and it could fall quite drastically on the Israeli government, its war cabinet. So they know that they, they have to put pressure on Iran so Iran can be drawn into this conflict. And then uh, uh, it will justify the United States presence uh, uh, to be uh, to stay much longer in the East Med. Uh, so this is what what's going on, really. I, I don't see any uh, any other way to explain that this attack is uh, obviously uh, uh, touched very close to the heart of the Iranian because of, of the person uh, and the date that was chosen. So clearly, this is done on purpose to hurt to hurt the people of Iran, to hurt the government of Iran, and to send a very strong message that uh, they are prepared to go uh, to any length to get Iran to respond to these provocations. Uh, so, as I said, the escalation is ongoing. It is proportionate. Uh, let's see if the response from Iran, Iran is going to be proportionate. That's really what we, we are looking to understand. We saw, obviously, uh, the president uh, of uh, uh, Iran, Raisi, coming out uh, with a very straightforward declaration saying that uh, this was a, a terrorist attack. Uh, and uh, uh, actually killed the governor of Kerman province. And uh, it's really clear that uh, uh, he said that the perpetrators, just to use his, his own terms, and I quote, this cowardly act will soon be identified and punished for the heinous act by the capable security and law enforcement forces. That's what Rezi say in his statement. So you can see you're not hearing some crazy nonsense. All he's saying is that, Okay, this is a terrorist attack on our sovereign soul, and we will respond accordingly. So, as I say, very calm, very composed, uh, and that's what you would expect, and that's what you're going to expect from Nasrallah, I suppose, and the rest of the acts of resistance. Operations is operations, but the overall diplomacy and the coordinated effort to control and to show to the rest of the world that the United States and Israel is not going to be calling the cards anymore in this region. And they're going to have to deal with what is to come, which is right now the coming of the BRICS, because all that is occurring at a time where the BRICS is going stronger every single day. And under the leadership of Russia, everything is going to be accelerated. and. What I see in everything that I see today, my analysis is that there is the fear that uh, there is the moment where the United States and Israel might miss that opportunity to control the Western Asian part, which is crucial uh, in the next plan, the next phase, which include the IMEC, the Indian Middle East and Europe uh, corridors. So we can see that this big geopolitical game have been played at the moment and every single card has to be played at the right time, at the right strength in order to hit targets. Unfortunately, something that uh, they have probably miscalculated is that Israel is running out of time as far as the ongoing genocide against the Gaza civilian population. And that's going to change everything, Patrick. No, no, it absolutely is. And uh, just to give you guys some kind of proportion, you know, uh, if this happened in any other country, just think of a parallel situation in Britain or France or the United States. Would anybody be calling for restraint? Honestly, any NATO country, if this, uh, Freddie, just think of your, who's your greatest war hero in France commemorating the funeral and a bomb goes off killing over a hundred people on national TV. Uh, what, what would be the equivalent in France of that happening? And what would be the public reaction, Freddie? 
Well, the public reaction will be uh, you will see unity, which is something rare <laughs> in France. You know, you will see uh, definitely unity within the parliament. Uh, you will see unity amongst the public. Uh, and that is a very dangerous combination when you see uh, uh, the countries, the, the citizenry uh, basically gathering around the, the leadership, whether they have arguments or not, but because it attacks the nation, uh, people are gathering. As I say, if you want to send French people outside to fight for NATO, you're going to find very few. But if someone's come and attacked France on our own soil, on our sovereign soil, you're going to see the whole country moving. Uh, they won't have any problem for having people defending the country. Now, as far as uh, something similar to that, I think uh, uh, France has not really been uh, under attack apart from a couple of, uh, you know, uh, terror attack uh, in, uh, uh, in in Paris, in a theater, in a cinema, or, you know, uh, some, you know, very isolated uh, uh, act of terrors. Uh, but uh, I think from, from the government point of view, they, they, they will, the reaction will be open bar, basically. Uh, it will really be open bar, uh, and it really depends from where it comes from. Uh, so it's difficult to project yourself in the same scenario because the context is different, uh, the gains are different, and the uh, geopolitical uh, goals are different as well. But uh, yeah, 100% France will react, and it will be open bar, that's for sure. If, the, if it happened in the U.S. at Arlington Cemetery, Freddie, what about what uh, 30 seconds a minute before the cruise missiles launch what do you think yeah you you'll get some some kind of response like that of course you know it's uh, it it's it's again it's a very p particular time outside of a uh, election period everything changes you know everything is different uh, the the heads are calmer but uh, when you look at at a time where you know the uh, US presidential uh, uh, election is about to take place uh, at the end of the year. Everything changes because everybody can gain for that. So this is the instrumentalization of the politics. Uh, this has nothing to do with your foreign policy. This has nothing to do with your normal domestic policy, but it really has to do with what a candidate uh, can get as an advantage compared to his opponents. So what Biden can get from going to war, launch missiles, what is the gain? If he gets something, it will do it. If there's no gain or no obvious gain to be added, then they will not do anything. So it's really about, you know, uh, getting something out of it at this stage. And that's what we're going to see all year long from the U.S. administration. They will only get get involved in something that pushes Biden or uh, the DNC uh, towards a, a victory in November 2024. 20, uh, but uh, uh, I don't see uh, otherwise great motivation because money is running out. Uh, the Ukrainian conflict is uh, dragging the United States and NATO uh, into something that is rather embarrassing because it's, uh, again, another setback for the United States uh, Department of Defense with this uh, famous uh, and famous withdrawal from Afghanistan. And on the back of that, now they're going to have to withdraw from Ukraine. Uh, so that's difficult back-to-back uh, uh, -back, uh, kind of defeat to take. And then uh, can they afford now a defeat in the uh, in the East Mediterranean area, the Western Asian area? Uh, that is, uh, uh, you know, uh, just uh, simply not survivable, politically speaking. So that's what uh. the nature of response is, Patrick.
Yeah, well, don't tell that to Lindsey Graham. He's got other ideas, Freddie. Um, so uh, it, it, here's the, now. Let me just. Uh, I want to hit this last topic because I know this is kind of hot. Now, what I find what I find amazing, especially on social media, is all the big shock jocks, all the talk radio, the conservative pundits. They're all screaming and awing about Epstein's client list. Oh, Epstein's client list is coming. Bill Clinton. And all, not a word. Not one word about the connection to Israel. Not one word. I find this to be highly disingenuous and highly problematic, and it, these people have no credibility at all. Okay, so <laughs> let's, Freddie, is there a connection between the positions of politicians regarding this genocide in Israel and Jeffrey Epstein? I'm just asking innocently, pretend I know nothing, Freddie. Well, it's, you know, it's the big question. It's the million dollars questions, whether the uh, United Nations officials are being compromised by the Jeffrey Epstein enterprise. That is the big question that everyone should be asking themselves because uh, looking into the uh, sex trafficking and all that, this has been addressed. Of course, there's more to it. And uh, uh, the documents that are coming out at this moment in time, are some of, many of these documents have already been seen, by the way. These are not new documents, only few new names and few new things. But uh, this is not something that's going to help us understand the Jeffrey Epstein enterprise, which is uh, really very much linked to the uh, intelligence community, whether it is in the United States or uh, in, uh, in Israel. So... Uh, when you understand that, then you start your investigation based on the fact and the presumptions that what uh, Jeffrey Epstein uh, was involved with is a, 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 an intelligence operation uh, for the accounts uh, of uh, uh, the Israeli government, so, and more importantly today, Israeli intelligence. I mean, you don't need really to do a huge investigation to find that out. I mean, the fingerprints are everywhere from the relationship with Jeffrey Epstein and Hewitt Barak, from Jeffrey Epstein spending money with some key uh, institutions in the United States and around the world. And uh, of course, the network he was associated with. So when you follow the money, when you look at the uh, strategic way of spending his money and you look at the overall uh, uh, targets uh, that uh, Epstein had amongst these very powerful people, uh, namely Bill Gates or, you know, uh, top guys uh, at the GP Morgan Chase and on and on. Then you started to see that uh, uh, there is something uh, extremely shady. So I've done that investigation a long time ago. We've learned a tremendous amount of information from investigative journalist Whitney Webb, which everyone should read. I mean, she literally laid it out for everyone to understand. So there's no way I can add more than that, apart from the segments of Epstein and the French government and Epstein, the French dossier, you know, because there is a French dossier of Epstein that nobody has revealed so far. And hopefully I will be the one to do so. But what I can tell you today is that uh, literally in five minutes, I was looking whether there was some kind of a potential manipulations or influence that could be exercised on the, the president of the United Nations Security Council, which is a French guy. His name is Nicolas de Riviere. He is the uh, current president of the UNSC because France has assumed the presidency of the UNSC for the month of January. And I've looked at these guys' past and current activities and very quickly, I've realized that he was actually a, a member of the advisory council for the International uh, Peace 
uh, institute based out of New York. Uh, and this organization literally has its office across the road from the United Nations. Uh, but what's really important is to understand that this particular uh, fellowship was actually sponsored by Jeffrey Epstein, by Gratitude America, which was one of a, a major uh, major contributor to the IPI, the International Peace uh, uh, Institutes. And then uh, this was actually reported by one of his uh, foundation, uh, which is known as the Epstein, uh, uh, Epstein Six Foundation, if I'm not mistaken. So they spent a half a million dollar uh, why would Jeffrey Epstein on earth would want to spend $500 million on an international peace institution? Well, there's a very simple reason for that is because the people that was at the helm at the time were very much involved in the diplomacy and the negotiation between Israel and the Palestinian Authority. So when you understand that, you're starting to see that guys like Rod Lawson was taking in money, but obviously there's no free money in this world and something had to pay back. So how did they pay back? And what I could add to, to, to that, because we obviously won't have much time to elaborate on this, but uh, IPI has also a, a revolving loan with JP Morgan uh, uh, Chase. I've actually have the document from the 2022 financial report, and it's very clear that these guys are getting $500,000 on a revolving basis, uh, at least until December 20, uh, 2023. And again, we saw JP Morgan being very much uh, involved with the Jeffrey Epstein uh, case, and we saw them paying over $200 million to Jeffrey Epstein victim to settle out of court. So, you know, you add one plus one, and I can give you more example of that, which just at, at a certain point, you got to draw the line and say, how come we have this backdoors meeting that is taking place at the IPI under a fellowship that was set up by Ruth Forbes? Ruth Forbes, the Forbes families, is very well known to be very friendly to Israel, to say the least. And you have Jeffrey Epstein coming with massive contribution to the IPI. And you have the president of the United Nations Security Council, which happened to be a French guy, that is basically uh, a senior uh, member of the advisory council of the IPI. Well, I'm sorry, but this is just too much coincidence for me. Uh, and I've been obviously investigating on the uh, French segment of this uh, Epstein case. I can tell you that the link uh, with Gratitude America goes all the way back to Paris. Uh, so yeah, dot, dot, dot. I mean, <laughs> you we're getting somewhere here. And that for me explained to some degree, it doesn't explain it all, but uh, it really explained the dichotomy that has been on display at the United Nations. On one side, uh, some people are claiming to want to ceasefire humanitarian relief, but on the other side, uh, it took them free resolution to get there. And they are still today claiming and promoting the idea that Israel has the right to defend itself, when clearly this never and does not appear in any international law document. You know, uh, Palestine is not a state. Palestine is a group, is an ethnic group, is an occupier, and Israel is the occupier. And as far as I'm concerned, is that the right of defending yourself is just simply not there. Yeah, well, you're right to pull that thread with Jeff Epstein, uh, Freddie, and you'll keep pulling it. There's plenty there. There's plenty oh, there. Plenty. No, sh no shortage of uh, spicy <laughs> material. Uh, and geopolitical intrigue there. Freddie Ponton, independent researcher and journalist in France. There 
Thank you very much, Freddie, for joining us this week on TNT. We'll be watching your work on X Twitter. Follow Freddie Ponton on X Twitter. That's where you want to be to get all these breaking updates. Take care, Freddie. Thanks. Top of the hour news headlines coming up. Second hour coming up. Hassan Nasrallah's speech. We'll break it down with investigative journalist Leila Hatoum is going to join us live on the ground from Beirut, Lebanon. All this and more on the other side. Stay with us. <laughs> 